Well, hi everyone at Equippers. What a great uh, opportunity we have in these days to just keep trusting Jesus, keep letting the joy of the Lord be your strength, keep focused on the kingdom. Uh, you know, Paul said these words at one time. He said, even though I am bound in chains, the word of God is not changed. Let me say that another way. Even though he was in lockdown, the word of God is not in lockdown. And so we have this opportunity to constantly release the promises and truth of God's word, to live by them, to encourage others to live by them. And uh, I hope today that my message is going to be really practical for you as, as a church and as a body of people. I want to begin reading to you from Psalm 23. Psalm 23, we know this psalm so well. And uh, there's just a few points I want to bring out from this psalm that I think is really going to help you in your journey of faith. It begins like this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's kind of take that in reverse for a moment. If you're somebody who wants to be led in paths of righteousness, just remember, in order to do that, you have to restore your soul. You know, so often we want to live right, but in the process of living right, it's not about obeying a brand new set of rules under the new covenant. The new covenant is about having a brand new life. It's about having the deposit of the Spirit within us, and the Spirit loves paths of righteousness. And so part of our process as the people of God is we've got to be restored. Now, our spirit is made new that moment we trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. But our soul is shaped by our culture. It's shaped by the peers and the teachers and the families and the cultural context that we've grown up in. And so our soul needs to be restored. In other words, Paul says it differently in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4. He talks about our mind being renewed. He says the same in Romans chapter 12. And when the mind is renewed, you begin to think differently. I think this is what he meant when he said, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Our soul, our way of thinking, our way of feeling, our way of making decisions in life has got to be restored. It's got to be made whole. If I'm going to walk in a path of righteousness, my soul has to be restored in order for me to do that. And in order for my soul to be restored, guess what? I've got to lie down in green pastures and I've got to be led beside still waters. It's very interesting that before God leads us in a path of righteousness, he leads us to still waters. Literally in the Hebrew, waters of rest. Waters of rest. So what I want to do today is to give you three points that have helped me sustain ministry for over 40 years. So this is not just theological teaching that I'm giving to you today. This is honestly practical stuff that has helped me and sustained me and kept me. It's helped me restore and refresh my soul. And so if I was to give a title to this message, it would be simply this. Three keys to refresh and to restore your soul. You see, I think when we're in the place of rest, when we're lying down in green pastures, when we're beside still waters, in that place of rest, we hear clearly, we think clearly, and we're equipped to walk in righteousness, which is ultimately the goal. 
You know, Deloitte is a company in America that did a survey of employees across a number of different companies. 77% of those people admitted that they had experienced burnout at one time in their job. 67% of those people said that those companies didn't do enough to help prevent them from being burned out. And burnout is one of those things that comes to us when the pressures in life accumulate like a perfect storm and it gets too much for us. And so I want to give you these keys that I think is going to help you sustain you in your journey. Remember, Jesus gives us an invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Greek word actually for give you rest could be translated like this. I will rest you rest. It's very interesting. I will rest you rest. In other words, it's not until you rest that you begin to rest. Have you ever noticed sometimes when you go on holiday that it takes a few days before you really disconnect from what you're doing? You've begun the rest, but in the rest, you start to rest. I think this is what Jesus was talking about. So I want to talk about how you and I can do some practical things in order for us to experience restoration and refreshment in our soul, especially when pressure is coming against us. So here are the three things that I want you to remember. God will always give you special times, special places, and special people. Special times, special places, and special people. We're going to take that in order. Special times. Do you realize that in the nation of Israel, God built into the very fabric of how the society was structured three times a year, when they had to down tools and travel to Jerusalem in order to celebrate what was called the feasts of the Lord. In, in other words, God did not want them so into productivity and making money and into wealth, so much so that they forgot what it was like just to enjoy God's presence. So he mandated that three times a year, it was built into the very fabric of society. They had to travel to Jerusalem. And sometimes those different feasts have different emphasis. Sometimes it was more introspective. Sometimes it was more celebratory. Uh, and sometimes it was more anticipatory, like the Feast of Trumpets, which was about the return of the Lord. But all those different celebrations was a special time for the people of Israel to come together. When the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2, it was on the day of Pentecost. When Jesus was sacrificed and he died on the cross, it was at Passover. In other words, those feasts that were part of Israel's history were the very places that God chose out to, to work out his redemptive purposes. And so if that's true for Israel, here's my thought for you. When is your special time? Every week they had to have a Sabbath. God said, six days shall you labor, but on the seventh shall you rest. So even into this cycle of a weekly cycle, God was saying, come on, one day a week, just disconnect from everything and rest. It was because of creation. Six days, God created the world and on the seventh he rested. And by the way, think about this. God didn't rest because he was exhausted. God didn't rest because... He needed to. He rested in order to appreciate and enjoy what he had made. 
Start to think about special times like that. They're opportunities for you to enjoy, to celebrate and appreciate all that God has done for you. And so my question to you is, hey, have you got special times in your life? I think Shout Conference once a year in July is a special time. I know a lot of you make an effort to be there, and it is an effort. But why do we do it? Because it's a special time. We're together in God's presence. We're together with one another. We see friends sometimes that we've only seen on Facebook or talked on the phone, and we're together at that time. It's a special time in our particular movement of coming together. I'm longing for when New Zealand opens its borders and we can come over from Europe and come over from the UK and just be with you guys again. I'm longing for it. Why? It's a special time. Listen, every morning I try to get up and have a devotional time with God. It's a special time. It's my time to read the word, to pray, just to be quiet and just to think. Every single one of you needs those special times in your life. And so just look at your calendar. Look at your schedule. Ask yourself this question. When was the last time you had a special time? And here's the thing. When you're under pressure, it's even more important that you do those things, not less important. You know, we've just come back from Spain where our oldest daughter, Lisa, got married. It was epic. The weather was 37 degrees, so great weather, great location, great food, and you don't have to persuade Spaniard people to get on the dance floor. I mean, it was just an epic event. It was a very special time for my family and we were not going to miss it. We had to jump through lots of hoops. We had to fill in lots of forms. We had to take a PCR test to get out there. We had to do another PCR test to get in the country. We had to self-isolate for 10 days when we came back. It was lots of hassle, but it was worth it because the moment was special. Hey, I think We should celebrate birthdays. I think we should celebrate wedding anniversaries. I think these are special times. I think we should make them special. You know, David said this, well, talking of Jesus rather, in Mark chapter 135, it says this, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. While it was very early in the morning. Why did Jesus do that? because he knew no one else was going to be up. He knew no one else was going to be in that place. It was a special time for him to be with the Father, to talk to the Father, to hear from the Father, and then for the rest of the day to do the works of the Father. Where is your special time? Have you scheduled it? Have you planned it? Have you protected it? Have you watched over it? Have you appreciated it? So here's the second thing I want to talk about, special places. To me, special places actually can end up becoming sacred places. You know, it says this in Psalm 132, verse 13. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I've desired it. I just find that language amazing. The God of the universe, who in Isaiah 66 says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the place that you build for me? 
God looked down where David was in the city of David in Zion. He, he looked at his heart. He looked at the way he'd established worship. He saw, and God said, you know, I desire to be there. I desire to be there. And I think there are special places that connect us more with God. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 6 and verse 30 to his disciples. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. I love that. Jesus saw the busyness of life, the busyness of ministry. They didn't even have time to eat. That's how busy they were. And he said, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. In other words, let's disconnect from the busyness of life and go somewhere. It wasn't just a special time. It was a special place. It was a place where they could fellowship, where they could talk, where they could be free from the demands of everything else. You know, I've made a rule in my life now that when I'm going out for coffee with someone, when I'm going to have a meal with somebody, my phone goes on silent. In fact, sometimes I put it on flight mode because the problem that I see so often today is that we're with people in a special place, but we don't make it special because we allow ourselves to be interrupted. We allow ourselves to be distracted. I think the funniest picture I've ever seen is where two people are out on a date and they're both looking at their iPhones instead of talking to each other. Hey, that's not a special moment. That's not a special place. Come on, we've got to make places like that sacred spaces. Desolate places are free from distraction. So here's a question for you. Where's your favorite place to go to? Where's your favorite place to go to? And you know what? I'm mildly jealous of you because in New Zealand, you have the blessing of the whole of the landscape of Europe in one country. If you want to go to the wilderness, you don't have to drive far. If you want to go up a mountain, you don't have to drive far. If you want to be in like an Amazon type jungle, you don't have to go far. And if you want a glorious beach, we all know where to go for that. You have so much around you that is special but you've got to find somewhere that's special for you. It's got to be a place where when you're under pressure, you can go there and just being there does something to restore and refresh your soul. Now, scheduling a special time is important, but I think scheduling a a special place. When Jesus said, look, when you pray to your father, go into your closet, (laughs) I think it's a metaphor you know, for years I wondered as a young Christian, you know, do you climb into the cupboard? But, but Jesus is saying, look, find a space and a place that makes you communing with your father sacred. There's no distractions. There's no interruptions. There's no iPhone there to ring you. There's nothing popping up on your screen demanding your attention. You're disconnected from all those things in order to reconnect with God. And this has a tremendous impact on our soul. It restores us. I think when we're under the greatest amounts of pressure, they're the times that we need to apply special times, special places, and special people. You see, places should be sacred spaces. And sacred spaces are often safe places. 
Church should be like that. Church is a special place. That when people come there, it should be a safe space. It should be a secure place from the enemy. It should be a, a place where people feel like I'm part of something. Do you remember the story of Jacob in chapter 28? One day he lay down to sleep with his head upon a rock and that night he had a dream of heaven and a ladder going up to heaven and angels ascending and descending. And when he woke up from the, from the dream, he said, this is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So in the morning, what he did was he took that stone and he set up a pillar and he poured oil on top of it and he called the name of that place Bethel. Before that, it was the city of Luz. And so here's Jacob, he, he's just on a journey and he falls asleep and suddenly in that place of rest, he has an encounter with God. He has an encounter with heaven. And when he has that encounter, he wakes up and he says, wow, I didn't realize where, where, where I was. Now, now, I know theologically that God is everywhere. I know theologically that's not necessarily the gate of heaven. But the point he's trying to make is this is a special place. God met me here. I'm going to honor it. You know, Bruce tells a lovely story. It might even be in his book about where on his farm he knelt by a gate and got on his knees. And there was a, it was a place of special surrender. And years later, took his family back there and say, that's the spot. That's where it happened. I remember being a pastor, a young pastor in Colchester, in Essex, in the UK. And Colchester was the place that Charles Spurgeon got saved. And I remember going into Spurgeon's chapel. It was a tiny little church. I remember sitting in the seat where Spurgeon got saved and just looking at the pulpit and sitting in that special place. I remember going to John Wesley's house and, and seeing his room where he prayed every morning at 6 a.m. And he had a special chair made. And that chair, you sat in it in reverse and he, and he had a little platform built on the back of the chair and he put his Bible there. And for two hours every morning, Wesley would read his Bible and pray. And the room had nothing in it other than this chair and some windows to look out. It was a very special place. It was a sacred place. Come on. Where are the places where you encounter God and it feels special to you? Do you remember Moses on the backside of the desert seeing a burning bush? He goes over to see and God begins to speak to him out of the bush. And he doesn't realize where he is because God says, take your shoe off your foot. The place where you're standing is holy ground. You see, wherever God shows up becomes a sacred space. Wherever God shows up becomes a sacred place. So you could take over the town hall in Auckland for a church meeting. And you know what? That becomes a sacred place because God is showing up there. God is meeting with people there. God is saving people there. God is healing people there. Joshua experienced the same thing overlooking Jericho. The captain of the Lord's host turned up and suddenly Joshua was told, remove your shoe from off your feet. The place where you're standing is holy. He got down, he worshipped, took his shoe off and he says, what does my Lord say to his servant? It was a place of communion. It was a place of hearing. He was under tremendous pressure. How is he as a general going to take the city of Jericho? He was looking, he was wondering, but God showed up and gave him a strategy. Come on, I want to encourage you. Have a place that's special to you. David had the cave of Adullam. Who would have thought God would show up in a cave? But 400 men came to him there and he grew his army of warriors in that cave. 
You see, it isn't always about having the best resources. It isn't always about having the latest thing. It's about having the presence of God with you in what you do. <laughs> Jesus, rising early in the morning while it was still dark, departed to a desolate place. Come on, that's what we need. Special, special places. Do you know Gethsemane? In John chapter 18 and verse 2, it says, Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So there was a place Jesus often liked to go to with his disciples where he would talk with them, where he would be with them, and where they could enjoy each other. And then finally, let me talk about special people. Do you know, we all need special times. We all need special places, but... (laughs) We all need special people in our life. And I think that's probably the most important. And here's the amazing thing. When those three things come together and you get the people in your life that are special at a place that is special, at a time that is special, all I can say is it's, it's like heaven. It's like tasting heaven right now. Do you know, it says this in 2 Corinthians 7, 6. Paul is writing, he says, but God who comforts the downcast, and Paul was feeling downcast when he was at Corinth. He was feeling upset. He was feeling lonely. He said he comforted us by the coming of Titus. He comforted us by the coming of Titus. In 1 Corinthians 16, 17, he wrote these words. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they've refreshed my spirit, spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. You know, Paul loved it when he was with people like Timothy or Titus or Fortunatus, all these kinds of people. Why? Because when they showed up, no matter how he was feeling, he always felt, felt better afterwards. They refreshed his spirit. There was a restoration taking place. Do you know, I've discovered that as a Christian, if I'm feeling downcast, you know what? I want to get together with the people of God. But there's some people I especially want to be with because they're people who put something into me. I always feel better when I'm with them. And there are people in your world who do that. They, there are some people who draw from you and it's like they make a withdrawal. Okay, that's ministry. We're givers. Fair enough. But sometimes we're under pressure. And in those moments... You need to be around people who know how to make a deposit into your life. So my question to you is this. Do you know who those people are? Do you know who the special people that God has joined you to? That that you're part of them because God put you together. I remember 20 years ago when I met Bruce. And we began just a friendship and we talked about ministry and we talked about so many things. And then eventually... On our return to the UK, I ended up working with Bruce and Helen in in London and and God just joined us even more and more. And over the years, it's just a very special friendship. It's, it's, It's a ministry connection, but it's also a friendship connection. And so I just want to say to you, God will gift you with people like that. When David was a young man and he had a great calling on his life and he, had, he was anointed by Samuel the prophet and God let none of his words fall to the ground. 
And then God gave him a friend like Jonathan. And the soul of Jonathan, it says, was knit with the soul of David. Here was this young man who was supposed to be the future king of Israel if his father had not messed up. But as soon as he saw David, like an older brother, he just, he was joined in heart to David and became a special person in his life. In fact, I believe Jonathan was probably the one who mentored David and helped David more than any other leader in his world. And David was heartbroken when Jonathan eventually died. It was a very special person in his life. God gives you special people and it's a gift. Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy 1.16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched me earnestly and found me. When Paul wrote 1 Timothy, he wrote these words. Nobody stood with me at my defense. All forsook me. But then he wrote these words a little bit later. Onesiphorus, he came to Rome. He traveled all the way to Rome. He sought me out and he was not ashamed of my chains. He was not ashamed of the fact that I was a prisoner and he was associating with a prisoner. He searched for me. He found me. He refreshed me. Special people. We all need them. We all need them in our lives. In Romans chapter 16, it's one of those unusual chapters where Paul writes the list of a whole name group of people. 29 people are named and 10 of those names are women. One of them, Paul says, she was a mother to me. That's very special. In fact, seven of the 10 women are described in terms of their ministry, whereas only three of the men are described in terms of their ministry. I think it's important to realize that God gives us very special times special places, special people. Six days before the Passover, those three things came together for Jesus. He was with one of his favorite households, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus who'd been raised from the dead. He was in a very special place, their home. He felt secure there. He felt welcomed there. He felt wanted there. And then Mary anointed his feet with oil and the oil, the fragrance filled the whole room. A special time a special place with special people. It's very beautiful. In Luke twenty-two fifteen, 15, Jesus said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Passover was a special time of the year. He was with a special group of people and they found a special place they could meet together. I want to tell you, if you build this into your world, it will sustain you in the long haul. You will do life well, you will do ministry well, and you'll be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I've run the race, I've kept the faith, I fought the good fight, henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Let's just pray together. Father, for everybody listening to this message, who's feeling the pressure of life, the pressure of ministry, the pressure of having to be in lockdown, the pressure of family, the expectations that often come upon us, that make us feel like we can't cope. My prayer for every person listening to this message is that you will give them those special moments and they will discern the priority of scheduling special times. 
that you will give them places that they go to where they know this restores and refreshes my soul and you will put people in their world who will do that for them. In Jesus' precious name, amen.